0: thanks so very much for coming out. I'm thrilled you're here. I'm glad to be in Dandenong. I love Melbourne. I would tell you that even if I didn't, but I really do. My association with Melbourne goes all the way back to 1972 when my mum and dad came to Melbourne, no, 71, to, to watch the Melbourne Cup in November of 1971. And Silver Knight won. Silver Knight won the Melbourne Cup that year. Uh, I don't expect you to remember that. And I'm almost certain, knowing my dad's luck with horses that he lost all of his money which wouldn't have been much but that's how far I go back with Melbourne on some personal level I have a nephew who lives here I told you before you're not a real Kiwi till half your family lives in Australia and this is just a great place it's a and I honest honestly I just feel thrilled to be here and privileged to be here and I'm expecting that God will bless us as we look at the Bible together we'll begin with prayer And we'll ask God's blessing on our time, please, if we can pray together now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be in this place in your presence. I pray that tonight you would speak to us through your word, that you wouldn't let the limitations of fallen humanity get in the way of of what you once said, uh, that you'd speak and that you would be heard, that we'd be encouraged and take with us tonight just what you want us to have. So bless us, please, we ask you, and we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Please say with me, amen, amen. Not that many years ago, uh, a 45-year-old woman went online looking for love, and I mean that in the most positive and appropriate way. She went to one of these dating websites, you know, and, and uh, quite frankly, I'm not quite certain what you do there, but I guess she put in her details and looked for the kind of man that would uh, be a match for her. She found the man of her dreams. He was charming, he was good-looking, tall sort of a guy, had plenty of money. He was an officer in the Navy. He was a combat veteran. He was working on his PhD. He was gracious. He supported her financially. He even provided financial care so that she could uh, more easily raise her 11-year-old daughter. She thought to herself, this is just too good to be true. And you know what they say? When something seems as though it's too good to be true, it usually what? It usually is Well the wheels started to fall off their relationship a little bit Things just started to get weird And so having questions in the back of her mind Wondering just who and what this man really was She one day saw his wallet left lying on a coffee table Or the kitchen counter or something Curiosity got the better of her She went to the wallet and opened it up And pulled out his driver's license And there was his picture But whose name was that? Not the name of the man that she met and had pretty much fallen in love with. She said, who is this guy? She googled his name and discovered that that name was the name of a man who was a serial con man. He would spent years duping women, worming his way into their confidence and then stealing from them taking sometimes pretty much everything by they had. Her investigations led her to discover that she was just one of several women that the man was playing all at the same time. Her heart was broken. She said she felt embarrassed. She said she felt angry. She said she felt as though she let down herself because she made a mistake. No, not going online. No, not looking for love. Those things aren't mistakes. She said she made the mistake of trusting She made the mistake of trusting. You can find yourself in a whole world of hurt when you trust. It's been almost 100 years since a man named Charles Ponzi in the United States in New York City made millions, I mean millions of dollars by, well, he he, he talked people into investing in something that didn't even exist. As new investors came on board, he took old investors' money and paid off the new investors, or new investors' money and paid off the old, one way or the other. And the returns were good, so good that people looking to make money started throwing their cash at Ponzi, and he was frittering it away and squirreling it away and wasting their money. Of course, the law caught up with Ponzi and he spent some good amount of time in in, in prison. Life is about trust on many levels. You take your car to the mechanic and you hope for the best. And when the mechanic says, you need this, and if like many of us, you don't know the first thing about your car, all you do is trust. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is what we ought to do. And you say, thank you, doctor. And you're so glad that she seems to know what she's on about. And you're forgetting that an enormous amount of people die every year from medical errors. Uh, you trust, you order something online Typically it arrives You put something in the mailbox And it generally gets to where it's supposed to go Payday is Thursday And the money arrives in your bank account Just like that Like clockwork, there aren't usually many problems Sometimes you can get burned trusting My daughter just ordered something online It didn't fit She was okay with that Because you could ship it back and return it They didn't tell her that you had to ship it back to China And it would cost $35 Of course the item didn't cost anywhere near that amount She trusted the system and it didn't work out But thankfully it was only money Nothing worse than that We trust And most of the time it's because we can and most of the time, you don't even ask yourself, is the newsreader telling me the truth? If they say it's going to rain tomorrow, can the weather forecast to be trusted? That's just what we do in life. But I have a far more important and more fundamental question for you. And the question is this. Can God be trusted? Let's ask ourselves tonight, and we're going to find an answer that I hope will satisfy you one way or the other. Can God be trusted? Now, if you were raised going to church, then your default answer is, sure, God can be trusted. If you weren't, and if you went through some tough times in life, you might not be so certain that God can so easily be trusted. You trust a man and your money disappears down a hole. Okay, that's one thing. But what about when it's God? And you've been told that God is supreme and above all, and that God is love, and that God is good, and God wants the very best for you. And you say to yourself, well, I'll trust God. And what happens then when, well, let's look at this tonight, and we'll do so in the context of the Bible. When you make a decision to trust God... Is it a wise decision or otherwise? We are going to look at some of the great themes of the Bible in this series that we have entitled Revelation Today. Some of the great themes of the Bible. Some of the great prophetic themes of the Bible. And when we ask this question, can God be trusted? I'm wondering, think about it like this. Would you get more out of life or less out of life if you made the choice to trust God? Or let's back back from that a little bit. Would you get more out of life or less out of life if you included God in your life? Does life trend upwards or downwards when you make the decision to allow God to be a fundamental and an important part of your life? And if you were going to do that, you know, when my wife and I started going together, I I essentially made a terrible mistake. And I said to her, if you're even contemplating marrying me, then you ought to find out who I really am. You need to go and ask my friends. Even the people I would not want you to ask, Go. what was I even thinking? It was the dumbest thing I ever did. She followed me down to New Zealand. I made a trip to New Zealand and she followed me down to New Zealand. She even spoke to my sisters. Just the fact that she was going to do that scared the life out of me because they knew things that I did not want her knowing. And she went and asked friends and associates, the ones I would not have recommended. She would not have married me until she was pretty certain that I was somebody that she could trust. It's a wise decision. I didn't have nearly as many concerns about her, you understand. But now think of the greatest relationship of them all. If there is a God, and I'm going to assume tonight that there is, if there is a God, you want to know if he can be trusted. What happens if you put your life in his hands? Now, when you read the Bible, you discover that the Bible makes some pretty amazing claims some pretty amazing claims. For one, it makes the claim that there is a God. That's a pretty big claim. You've never seen him. You haven't stopped him on the street and shaken his hand. The Bible speaks about God's son, Jesus, and that he is the Savior of the world. If you were to trust in that, that would be a big decision to make. How would you get from here To the place where you can say, I safely believe that I can safely trust in this Jesus. Just a couple of weeks ago for our It Is Written television program, uh, we did just a little traveling and interviewed some fascinating people. First, I spoke to uh, uh, an astronaut at the Kennedy Space Center in Titusville, Florida. And this is a man who'd, who'd flown four uh, missions on the space shuttle. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the space shuttles broke up over Texas a few years ago. A great tragedy. He was supposed to be on it. They asked him to be on it. He said, No, I'll pass because I, I want to go to the space station. He would have been there. Anyway, I spoke to him because uh, what was I talking to him about? Uh, that's right, because there are some people Who believe the moon landing was faked I wanted to get this man's I- I- idea And so who do we speak to next We went and talked to a woman at, who lives Basically, in Area Fifty One, just on the edge of Area Fifty One, which is deep in the desert in Nevada, and what they claim, what they claim, a number of people I've spoken to claim that the United States government is keeping aliens and spaceships in Area Fifty One. No, we're not going to talk about that tonight, because I, you know, w- we have uh, less divisive things to talk about. And then I travelled to Washington, uh, in the northwest of the United States, and I talked to a man who was a spokesperson. I mean, he is one of the grand poo of the flat Earth movement. The man believes that the earth is flat Flat And that uh, I, I shouldn't go too far into it I said what about the moon He says it's 50 miles wide What about the planets They don't exist They're just lights in the sky Okay These are some pretty outlandish claims to be making Earth is flat You get to the edge and there's a wall That's Antarctica It circles So oh, I don't need to bother, bother you with all of that but those are great claims uh, Great being a guarded word I went to a, a fellow who lives about an hour and a half from where I live He has a museum dedicated to Bigfoot The Sasquatch I said you really believe this He said Sasquatch Bigfoot is among us <laughs> I was looking around What do you mean among us He says you'll even see Bigfoot in the suburbs Not just in the wilds Not just deep in the bush And he, I, you know honestly I don't know if he really believes it or if because he runs a museum he has to make out like he believes it, I don't know. But these are big claims. Now, now, if, if you were coming from, from a certain background, you might think the claim that there is a God is just as big a claim. And if you said that you believed that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you if you didn't have a certain, a certain background, let's say, uh, in, in the Bible. So what is it that makes a person think God can be trusted? And if you tonight are on the fence and you're not sure... How would you be able to leave this place tonight thinking in your heart, well, maybe, maybe I can trust. Maybe there is a God and that this God is trustworthy. You see, when you look into the Bible, it says the greatest things. Imagine imagine if the Bible was not true. Imagine if it was not true because it says one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to take God's people and we'll go to heaven. Imagine if that was not true. Imagine if there's no God and that there's no God who is love. Imagine if that's not true. Imagine if after this world there's nothing to look forward to. Imagine if all you get in this world is all you get. Imagine if terrorism and hatred and incivility and injustice and racism and greed. Imagine if ill treatment. Imagine if that is really all that we have to look forward to. Imagine if there's no beyond that. Imagine. Ah, but wait a minute. Imagine if what the Bible says is true. Just imagine that you've got a future to look forward to. Just imagine that you can know that if you're a sinner, and we're all sinners that God would forgive you imagine if there is someone you can turn to in your hour of need imagine if there is a future imagine if immortality could someday be yours and you could live eternally in a perfect world without sin and death no crying no sadness no misery of any kind Ooh, imagine that now what we don't want to do is say what's the better scenario let's plump for that what we'd like to do is say, can we be intelligent about this? If there's a God, can he be trusted? And if he can, how can we know? The Bible begins with these words, in the beginning God created, which would make this world God's world. And if it's God's world, then why in the world is it in such a mess? There's death and, and and, and I mean, you know, someone lives to be 80 years old and dies and we say, well, I mean, 80 is not 100, but... She lived a pretty good life, 90, 95. Oh, man, oh, that's a, a great innings. No, no, but, but, but there's death still. The best possible scenario that you can paint for this planet still turns up the fact that the world is in a mess. So what I wonder does it say about the God who created this world, which today is such a mess? We've got to look at this from the Bible. What would you be thinking of God... If you were a victim of ethnic cleansing, if you were living in Bosnia when Bosnia was savaged, if you were living in Rwanda when the Hutus and the Tutsis were literally at each other's throats, what would you be thinking about God if you were a victim of the Holocaust? I read that little book, Night, by Illy Wiesel, the the, 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 the advocate for uh, Holocaust survivors and, and for Jews and so on. And he spoke about people who in the horrors of the Holocaust uh, were crying out and saying, where is God? Why has God abandoned me? You see, if you found yourself in some extreme place, you might say, I wonder about this God that some people say that I can trust. You just might. So, so let's, let's dive on. Your, your house is, is, is burned in a bushfire. You say, where, where was God? The Bible is a book that contains 66 books. First one is Genesis, last one is Revelation. Middle verse of the Bible is found in the book of Psalms. There are uh, 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 31,000 verses in the Bible. It's a wonder people don't investigate it more because it makes some big claims. Does what the Bible says actually make sense? Now here's what the Bible encourages us to do. The wise man wrote this. They call Solomon the wise man. Uh, Had 700 wives, so I don't know how wise he was at least in that part of his life, but certainly demonstrated great wisdom. Trust in the Lord. With what? With all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and there's a promise made to you, and he, next word, shall, shall do what? Direct your paths. So this is saying Trust God implicitly And you have the assurance That this great God Clearly can be trusted Will direct your paths And encourage your life Now I just skipped one too far Let's go back This is a claim made by God About himself This is in the book of Isaiah Chapter 46 I can say Isaiah again I went to the United States Started saying Isaiah People looked at me funny Have to say Isaiah But I'm home now Homish, Isaiah. It feels so good. Chapter 46, isn't it? Yes. The Bible says, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. God says, here's a reason you can trust me. Because I'll tell you about things that are going to happen before they happen. And when they happen, then you'll be able to say, Ah, God told me about that. This God clearly is trustworthy. Now, isn't that something? God says, I will tell you before it happens that it's going to happen. And therefore, if you're a thinking person, you ought to be able to trust me then. Now, let me give you some examples of this. In Micah chapter 5, Micah, little book of Micah, seldom read... But here is a wonderful passage. It's a very telling passage of the Bible. Micah wrote, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata. This is a lot like saying, um, 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 I can't think of any Australian examples right away. A A bit like saying Bakersfield, California. So you don't confuse it with Bakersfield, Mississippi, you see. Unto you, Bethlehem Ephrata. The name of the town and the region, the district. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are of old from everlasting. In other words, God is saying, Bethlehem, Messiah, will be born there. God made this prediction years ahead of time, hundreds of years. And what happened? You get over to Matthew chapter 2, and they quote that same prophecy. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and so on. The wise men came to town. They said, Where's this one who was born king of the Jews? And and, then they said, Oh, wait, what? What's this all about? Oh, yes. The prophet said, Bethlehem. It was foretold well and truly ahead of time. The Bible even said in the book of uh, Zechariah that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Read about it in Zechariah chapter 11. Way ahead of time the Bible said that. What else do we have in the Bible? Let me find a couple here. Isaiah said, Isaiah, you'll have to forgive me. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7 that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. No one had heard of such a thing happening before. And that's precisely what happened. The prophet said so. God promised Abraham a son in his old age. A son was born to him. Noah said, at the behest of God, it's going to rain. There will be a flood. It happened just as God said it would happen. You see, when God speaks, certain things take place. I'll give you a psalm that not enough people have read. Psalm chapter 22. In Psalm 22, verse 15 it said that the Messiah would suffer thirst when he was on the cross. Now, the psalm was written by David. Written by David right in around 1,000 years B.C. So about a millennium before Jesus came, uh, the Bible writer said Messiah would suffer thirst as he hung on a cross. Right in that same psalm, his hands and his feet would be pierced. Right in that same psalm, these things were written. What else? I don't want to forget the soul. Look at my notes here. In that same psalm, what else? Many other. Oh, there's one. It said that they would cast lots for Jesus' clothing. And if you know the story, you know that's exactly what happened. While Jesus was on the cross, he said those famous words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words were written by David in Psalm 22 and verse 1. A thousand years ahead of time. God said when you see this kind of behavior This sort of thing demonstrated, exhibited in the Bible This is an indication to you that the Bible is a book that can be trusted And you and I both know that in today's world, less people go to church Less people profess any sort of connection to a religious denomination Skepticism is up, belief in the Bible is down We know that, that's the trend is going in such a way That many writers have said, give it enough time and Christianity will one soon day be completely extinct. Now, I don't believe that's going to happen. There's no indication in the Bible that that would happen. But people are looking at society and where it is going. And yet when you look at the Bible, the Bible demonstrates that it is a book that can be trusted. Well, at least I say it can. We'll... We'll get to more about that before too long. The Bible named the man who led the overthrow of Babylon. Named him by name. Oh, we're a little behind here. The cross. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible named him. Cyrus named him before he was born. You add these things up. And there are many other things that God said in advance that came true. And if you're a skeptic, you have a conundrum now. If you were someone who who writes the Bible off When I was a kid, a teenager My good friend said to me Man, I don't believe the Bible It's just like the tooth fairy It's a collection of stories It's nothing more than story I tell you what The writers of these stories Were either profoundly lucky Or they had some insight Because what they said was going to happen Would happen Now I'd like to give you A big example of this The grandfather of all examples of this We'll look at a prophecy of the Bible Where God sticks his neck out He puts his reputation on the line Now here's what I believe I believe that people want something to believe in And I don't mean that in any silly way But unless you have a purpose Unless you believe something Life is a bit of a wonder, you know Life is a matter of being blown this way and that We tend to believe in something. Some people believe in Essendon. Some people believe in the crows. You believe in something. Some people believe in in politics. Some people believe in, I don't know, philosophy. We believe in something. If you discovered that the Bible was believable, it might just change your life. You know, if you look in pop culture today, uh, television comedians, commentators—I uh, say this with respect—but in a lot of academia, the Bible is rubbish. Not for any solid reasons. I don't. I don't think too many people hold up the Bible and say, "Look at all of these holes." But it's rubbish. You know what I'm saying. It's generally poo-pooed The Bible is looked down on Frowned on Sometimes if you out yourself As being a Bible believer I remember sitting on a plane A woman asked what I did I told her She said you're one of those I said "What what I have two heads What are you talking about You don't believe that stuff I said tell me why I shouldn't And that's where things got interesting Because she ran out of steam Right about then But you know what I'm talking about People generally And if you're one of those people I mean you no harm But people generally are not up on the Bible. They tend to be very down on the Bible. If the Bible is simply archaic, if the Bible is merely a dead letter, I keep pointing at my iPad, which has the Bible on it, of course, but here's the Bible. If the Bible is really irrelevant, then let's get it over with, toss it on a bonfire, and run a thousand miles from it, and get on with life without it. But I've already shown you enough tonight to make you stop and think, Maybe there's something about this God said I can tell you what's going to happen before it happens And we looked at 8 or 9 instances, maybe 10 Where that was actually so Well you might find an explanation for that, sure But you know what the Bible offers? It offers purpose It offers meaning It offers transformation It offers a certain amount of power And not power we wield But power in the life of the believer As God lives his life in you The Bible speaks about God as a personal God Someone who wants to get to know you. Someone who cares about you. Someone who says, I have the very best in mind for you. I can take you places and work in you in ways that would just amaze you. This is a God who says, I can remake you when you've screwed up your life. I can straighten you up when you've gone all crooked. This is a God who says, I can lift you up when you are down. It'd be great if that was true. So let's find out. If we can trust the word of God I want to encourage you If you have a Bible with you Or a device with a Bible on it Turn with me in your Bible To the book of Daniel The verses will be on the screen But you might like to follow along And I should have made that invitation earlier Daniel and chapter 2 We'll start there Daniel The Daniel of the Bible Was a a prophet He's recognized as a prophet The book of Daniel Twelve chapters long It's towards the end of the Old Testament The minor prophets are after Daniel And then Matthew begins Daniel was raised in Jerusalem. And he was living there when, in about the year 605 BC, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, raided. In fact, they did more than raid, they pretty well destroyed Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed, many people lost their lives. Daniel and sundry others were taken captive and marched across that hot, arid desert to Mesopotamia, where they were essentially uh, pressed into slavery in the service of the king of Babylon, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. But after arriving in Babylon, the Bible story tells us that Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in fact, their, their given names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they distinguished themselves with such... Distinction that the king said, There's something special about these boys. I want them to be in my circle of wise men. So, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah became part of the king's council. They were his uh, trusted confidants and counselors. But now this happens. Daniel chapter 2, and we pick it up in verse 1. The Bible says this Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his sleep was his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. He woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit Is anxious to know the dream And the king said to them I just told you what the king said to them And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic The Aramaic language And they said "O king live forever Tell your servants the dream And we will give you the interpretation Now you know what they were doing there They didn't know it They had no clue what the king dreamed You just tell us what your dream was And we'll make something up And the king wasn't buying it at all. This is one of history's most famous cases of insomnia. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know about that dream because the royals back in those days believed that the gods communicated with them through dreams. Uh, Records of ancient Mesopotamia contain a lot of accounts of, of royal dreams, you understand. The king employed these counselors to solve or resolve this type of mystery. But these guys were up against something that they knew nothing about at all. They couldn't know, certainly didn't know what it was that the king dreamed. And so the king said to them, You know what they said? Just tell us what it was, your Majesty, and we'll we'll make something to fit. He said, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. And your houses shall be made in ash heap. He was a charmer, this king. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And he meant business. Whatever happened in Babylon was simply the echo of Nebuchadnezzar's royal will. And he was asking mere mortals to explain What they could not see, explain what they had not experienced, explain what went on in somebody else's mind. You know, there are individuals who claim to be able to solve life's great mysteries and read your mind or your future, uh, tell you about uh, what's going to take place a little bit down the road. I understand that. Uh, In a a previous life, I used to work in the radio industry as as a broadcaster, and I recall as a very new DJ My program director Oddly enough a Christian man Said to me we have a, a, a medium A spiritist medium That we'd like uh, to put on the radio And we want to put her on During your radio show And that was just a fascinating experience uh, as, as she was answering questions from callers You know long before the program began The, the, the switchboard was The lights were flashing Man like lights on a Christmas tree And people were calling up to ask this lady About their their, their deepest issues And and for understanding about certain things I I would suspect Or in fact I would go so far as to say That maybe they were looking in the wrong place Maybe there's someone else That they could have been talking to About these things You don't need a psychic To tell you about the future God has already demonstrated That he knows the future And he pledges to be with you In your future Remember what we saw before? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he shall direct your paths. The horoscopes are concocted. The palm reader cannot help you, a medium, a crystal ball, gazer, no. These guys down there in Babylon, they practiced something called extispacy. Extispacy. In order to read the future, they would take the internal organs of dead animals, Uh, not living animals, internal organs of animals, and they're awful, awful, we used to call it at, at AFCO, at the meatworks, and they'd examine them and see little spots and designs and lines and say, oh, well, this means X and this means Y, then this blemish here is a sign from the gods, that's something. This was baloney, you know. But this was about all, all they knew. No surprise that they couldn't interpret the king's dream. And so they said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. And the king said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. Let us make something up. No, that is not going to happen. If you don't tell me the dream, there is only one decree for you because you have prepared lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed." Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. They said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king this matter. No one can do this. Therefore, no king, no lord, no ruler has ever asked such thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests. There is no other who can tell it to the king, get this, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They were right about that. They were right about that. For this reason the king was angry Not just angry Notice the way the Bible writer puts it He was angry and very furious And he gave the command And this is not child's play He gave the command to destroy All the wise men of Babylon Now, the challenge here From the biblical perspective Is that this included Daniel And Hananiah And Mishael and Azariah When the king said Kill them all. This included the good guys as well as the phonies. Kill them all. It's interesting. These fellows were confronted with an existential crisis. Their lives were on the line. I'd like you to notice what they did. Here's what they did. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You notice what they did? Their lives were on the line. They were confronted with a challenge that was too great for them. They went home and they prayed. I wonder if prayer is a lost art these days. I just wonder. Their lives were on the line. They knew they needed help from God, and so they went to God and asked for help. They were dependent upon God for everything. And now they were really dependent upon God for a heartbeat, because without God coming through for them now, they were dead, totally dead. And what happened as a result? Well, God answered their prayer. We'll read about that in just a moment. Here's one thing I would like you to take home with you tonight, and that is to pray. To talk to God. You don't need a PhD or a master's degree in prayer in able, in, to be able to pray. Just pray. Just talk. Talk to God about what's on your heart. Take your challenges to God. Take your blessings and, your, and the things you're grateful to God. Communicate with God. It's not a one-way street you'll discover. It's a two-way street. God communicates with you. And I don't mean that in any do 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 way. I mean God will impress his will and his thoughts upon your mind. It's just what, it, what he does. It's how it happens. And so they went to pray. They prayed and God answered their prayer. And the Bible says, then the secret was revealed to them in a night vision. You know what's really interesting in my mind is this. So where do we think God lives? Where do we say God lives? God lives in where? In heaven. It was not a trick question. God lives in heaven. Do we know where that is exactly? Sure. It's, it's where? It's, it's up there. How far up there? Long way, so we know that God lives in heaven. We know where it is; it's up there, a long way up there. (laughs) How's that for scientific? You like that? How 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 big is this universe? Did you know that if at creation, Adam had had found himself on one side of the Milky Way and started traveling at the speed of light at 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 creation? launched out from one side of the Milky Way, by now, he would be 5% of the way across it. One-twentieth of the way across our one little galaxy, and it is a relatively modestly-sized galaxy. There are billions of galaxies in the universe. That's what the scientists tell us billions how big is the universe well wherever god is however far away heaven is when 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 daniel prayed when his friends prayed god heard their prayer and answered their prayer from that distant place we refer to as heaven prayer is powerful and god is great and he hears distance is no impediment he hears and he answers that's what he does so they prayed, I said to you already, the Bible says the secret was revealed to them in a night vision. And then God reveals to Daniel and his friends, presumably, this great mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Not just what he dreamed, but what it meant. The king wasn't simply after the, the, the dream. He wanted the interpretation. He felt like The gods were communicating with him, and he was true in as much as God was communicating with him. Daniel finds himself now in the presence of the mightiest monarch on the planet. And he speaks to the king, and he says, You, O king, were watching, and behold the great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, the chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs were of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. Its feet were made partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold Were crushed together And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors The wind carried them away So that no trace of them was found And the stone that struck the image Became a great mountain And it filled the whole earth You can imagine Nebuchadnezzar Leaning forward on his throne You can imagine Nebuchadnezzar His jaw drops open His eyes get big like saucers Nebuchadnezzar is thinking That's, This is it This slave that we captured in Jerusalem has come all the way across the desert to tell me just what it was I dreamed. Nebuchadnezzar can hardly get his mind around this. It's precisely what he dreamed. But Daniel's job was only half done because the king said, I want to know the dream and its interpretation. Now keep this in mind. I don't want to forget where we've been and where we are going. The question is, can God be trusted? That's the question. Because I think we, we, we owe each other the respect and we can afford to be honest enough to say that if God cannot be trusted, let's just forget about it. But if God can be trusted, what do you do then? What do you do then if there is a God and if he can be trusted? How would that impact your life? How would that impact your day to day? What would that say about your future and your, your, you know, your destiny and where you're heading in this world? What would it say about eternity? So Daniel got halfway through with this. This is the dream. But that wasn't enough. The king wanted to know not only what the dream was, but what the dream meant. So Daniel, can you help us with the interpretation of this dream? Mm-hmm. Yes, Daniel could. In just a few Bible verses, Daniel would reveal to the king and to us what would take place over the next 2500 or so years of human history. he said to the king, "This is the dream. now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. If what God said if what God says isn't true, we forget it. If what God says is true, then we take another look. Let, let me just digress for a moment and say this. You know why people believe what they believe. You know why? In about this this many of the cases It's because they said I really want to know And I'm really going to study and learn In the rest of the cases People believe what they believe Because of tradition This is what we've always believed This is what my family has always done This is what my culture is about And I identify with that That's not a search for truth That's lazy It's lazy It's lazy to say Well this is what my father believed And this is what my grandmother did And this is what my what my people have always done That's lazy. It may seem noble. It may be loyal. It may certainly be loyal. But if you're actually wanting to know where God stands on something, that's lazy. Other people believe what they believe because they're conditioned by society, the media, the winds of change, you know? I'd like you to stop and think. I certainly don't say this accusatorily. I made up a word there. Do you like that? Accusatorily. I certainly don't say this in an accusatory fashion. But why do you believe what you believe? Is it because you searched? Is it because you said, well, there, there's this book here and I should, I should check it out and find out what it says? You know, in many cases, people just don't do that. Or do you believe what you believe about the most important things? See, you use a certain brand of motor oil in your car. I mean, whatever, it, it hardly matters. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a heretic here and say it doesn't really matter what, what AFL team you support. But, but you would understand. What I meant if I said that is, it's preference, you know. It's, it's. I mean, whatever floats your boat. You, uh, you, you, you buy Skippy cornflakes or Kellogg's cornflakes or Sanitarium cornflakes. Cornflakes is cornflakes is cornflakes. How do you arrive there? It hardly matters. But we're asking about the big questions. What about eternity? I, I just don't think that you think it's wise to skate by And well, I don't know. I, I, I heard it on TV. I don't think you think it's wise to say, well, you know, I mean, uh, 200 years ago, my ancestors just chose this and here I am. doesn't make any sense. Instead, what you do is you say, I, I, I want to know, I want to investigate. I must, if, if, if this stuff about eternity and God and the future and everlasting life, if it's true, it's worth your while taking a few moments to check it out. If it's possibly true, it's worth, and then you investigate, you say, no, it's baloney, I, I reject it. Or you say, well, look at this. This is the most important thing you could ever give yourself t- to the study of or the investigation of. So, where are we with this? The prophecy we're looking at tonight, this is interesting, it, it's sort of uh, additional information here, but what we're looking at tonight is, is actually so important, it provides the foundation for all of the major apocalyptic prophecies That are found later in the Bible They all uh, Their roots all wrap around this rock That you find in Daniel chapter 2 We can talk more about that another time So let's look at this dream Daniel in the presence of the king of Babylon The mightiest man on the planet And he says to him These words You O king Are a king of kings For the God of heaven has given you A kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever, I'm getting two for one here, I'm sorry about that. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he's given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. He said, you are this head of gold. So there was a big statue, no surprise that uh, an idol worshiper would dream of a statue. The statue had a head of gold, and the young man said, the head of gold is you. You are the head of gold. This tells us that the head of gold of the statue represents the kingdom of Babylon, which which ruled from around 605 B.C. to about 539 A.D. It was quite the place. Uh, It has been said that the throne, Nebuchadnezzar's throne and other accoutrements, were made out of eight and a half tons of solid gold. It was a big city, bigger than Paris, bigger than Rome, big and powerful and rich. Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that Babylon would last forever. They found some of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, own writing, uh, cuneiform tablets, where he wrote, the whole earth was prostrate at Babylon's feet. Babylon, he wrote, the city which is the delight of my eyes, which I have glorified, may it last, how long, how long, may it last what? Forever, but did it last forever? God was in the process of telling him that would not happen. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you. Now God is speaking into the future. You, head of gold. But next, another kingdom, history reveals that this was the joint kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the whole earth. Babylon, then Medo-Persia, and then Greece. Under Alexander the Great, the the, the Grecian Empire became great, mighty. And it ruled from about 331 to about 168 BC, and there was no reason to think that the Greeks would ever be conquered But here's what God said And the fourth kingdom Shall be as strong as iron In as much as iron Breaks in pieces And shatters everything And like iron that crushes The kingdom will break in pieces And crush All the others, this was Rome. The iron monarchy, some historians have referred to it as, the iron monarchy of Rome. And then God said, whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be, give me that next word, it shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Here's what God said. There will be four kingdoms, And that fourth kingdom would be divided. That's a fascinating thing. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. If you're dealing with feet and toes, typically there would be ten toes. God says Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Rome divides into ten nations. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron doesn't mix with clay. Over the years, there have been repeated attempts to put together this Roman Empire. Go to Paris, and you quickly see in the architecture and the monuments that Napoleon was hell-bent on reforming the Roman Empire under his dominion. That's what he was about, but he did not succeed, Rome divided into ten, well, ultimately nations, many of the nations of Europe that you recognize today. But over the years, what was Hitler doing? Trying to reunite Europe. What was Stalin doing? Uh, He had designs to do exactly the same thing. Charles V and Louis XIV and, and others wanted to see this European, this Roman Empire reformed. It didn't happen. Queen Victoria was known as the Grandmother of Europe. Because of all of the intermarriage that had taken place, the idea was to knit this thing back together. There was a Danish king who was called the father-in-law of Europe. What were the designs of the leaders, of the monarchs, of the politicians to bring this back together? Did they succeed? No, they didn't. Why did they not succeed? Because they were fighting against God and fighting against the word of God. I don't want you to miss this. This may seem to be a little... Let me spell this out again. God said, you can trust me, you can believe me, because I'll tell you things before they happen. And when they happen, you can know that there is a God in heaven. And here the king has a dream. He dreams of, in the words of Daniel, uh, uh, multiple kingdoms rising and falling. And the fourth kingdom dividing. Now, if you and I had guessed this, or if we'd written this or designed this, we might have said there'd be a fifth kingdom. And a sixth kingdom. But God said there'd be four and then the fourth one would divide. Man, I don't know what you do about this. I I just don't know what you do. If you're skeptical enough to say, ah, it's just luck. How do you explain that? There's no question but that the book of Daniel is a genuine book. There's no question. It was really written uh, many hundreds of years before Christ. No question about that. What do you do if you say, oh, there is no God, or I don't need to bother with God, or I don't even worry about that or think about that? Man, why not? Because this is God demonstrating the reality of his being, the reality of his existence. I'll give you a story here. This happened to the grandfather of a friend of mine. My friend is an archaeologist. Uh, his grandfather was um, a soldier in Hitler's army during World War II. Here's what happened. Uh, His company pushed far to the east. In fact, they left Europe and got into Asia. They were were in Russia. Long, long way from home. And it was known that this man, his name was Franz Hazel. It was known that this man was a Christian. He was summoned to appear before a little committee of uh, of, uh, his superiors, and they started asking him about his faith and about the Bible and just asking him. He saw an opportunity. He knew that one of those men in civilian life was a history professor. And so he said, gentlemen, there's a part of the Bible that intrigues me. It deals with history. Would you mind if I shared it with you so that our history professor could tell me whether or not it's valid? They agreed, and so he started with Daniel chapter 2. You'll see in a moment why he was taking his life into his hands by sharing this prophecy with them. So he starts off with Babylon and the history professor nods and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome, and the history professor is enthusiastic. Absolutely, that happened. History tells us that that happened. And then he decided to push his luck, and he got into Rome dividing and then he said they will not adhere one to another what was he saying he was saying Hitler cannot win Europe will never come back together the Bible says so now they could have taken him out the back and shot him right there for treason for insubordination for daring he didn't say those words but it was strongly intimated. They asked if they could keep his Bible. They dismissed him. A day or two later, his immediate superior said, you are in charge of purchasing, aren't you? Yes, sir. Stockpile as much fuel as you can. They were a long, long way from Germany. He realized if Hitler is about to s- lose, we are going to have to get back to Germany before the Red Army catches up to us. We got to go. Sure enough, news came that Hitler was defeated. These men were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from home. They had enough fuel to make it safely back. They did make it safely back. Not one of those men was lost. Not one. And why was that? Because one faithful man who believed the Bible shared the very same prophecy as I've looked at with you tonight. It was fulfilled then. They made it back. That knowledge saved the lives of all of those men. You see, when God says, I can be trusted, I think he's serious about that. I think he means it. And I think he wants us to trust him. In fact, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what God wants. Pioneer Park Company 699 made it back. Franz Hasel might have lost his life, but he didn't. And as a result, he and his family members have influenced many people to consider this way of life, this way of life where God is part of your life. Think about this again. King, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, four kingdoms. The fourth one will divide. Never going to press back together. It's just not going to happen. You know, when you consider that, you've got to think about the author of this. Who devised this? No, no. I have to explain to my friend one day the Bible's not a fairy tale. It's not like the tooth fairy, like he said. It's not merely a collection of stories. It is a divine revelation that tells us that there is a God in heaven who loves the human family in spite of all we are and what we've done. Loves us. Wants to give to us everlasting life. Wants to bless our lives and make them better than we could make them without God's assistance and intervention. Can you trust a God like that? I think you can. How can, a person, how can a person have hope in a world that seems to be spinning out of control? Oh, let me tell you, this young man, Hazel, he had hope and his hope was richly repaid. In today's world, in today's seemingly crazy world, the Bible paints an accurate picture, an accurate picture for why? Prophecy isn't given so that people like me can say, look at how much I know. Prophecy isn't given so that Christians can argue with non-Christians and members of other faiths and put them down and say, we know everything because we have this. That's not why it's given. It's given so we can know that there is a God who knows. It's given so we can know that there is a God who can be trusted. It's given so we can know there is a future in our hands or when our futures are in God's hands. It's true that forces much larger than any of us are propelling our world in a catastrophic direction. It's true, but there is one who knows. There is one who's gonna prevent this world from entire self-destruction. Will peace come? Yes, yes it will. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Do our children and our grandchildren have a future to look forward to? Yes they do, yes they do. An eternal future, how can we know? Because the prophecies of the Bible say so The word of God says so We have demonstrated that God can be trusted Is there more, oh sure, we've just scratched the surface But you look at this tonight and you say This is just an amazing book These things given hundreds of years ahead of time And they've been fulfilled And if I just, if I just ended it right there I, I think there'd be people here tonight who would say Well that's pretty amazing Well, I haven't even got to the best part yet. Look at this. This is Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Rome divides into ten nations, seven of which exist today, as a matter of fact. And that's the age in which we live. Now, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Oh, I like the sound of that. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it, come on, let's read this together. And it shall stand forever. That's what the Bible says. It will stand forever. Now, inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. I want you to see this. This is where it gets good. The dream is what? The dream is certain. And the interpretation is what? Sure. This is the record of Daniel the prophet. The dream is certain. And the interpretation is sure. This is what God is impressing upon us tonight. Do I hold a book that we can trust? Yes, I do. Does it mean we know every last thing perfectly that's contained in here? Oh, no, No, probably not. But does it mean that we might know enough to guide us out of this world and into the world to come? Oh, I think so. It's a book we can trust. God is a God we can trust. The Bible tells us that Jesus hasn't forgotten you whatever you're going through. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. One day God will sweep aside the kingdoms of this world we just read and will set up a kingdom that will never pass away. And he invites you tonight to be part of that. The Bible tells us Jesus will come back to this world. And those those who wish to, those who want to, those who choose to, may be part of God's eternal kingdom. There's one more prophecy I want to show you before we end. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. It was cataclysmic. It was catastrophic. And God came and he spoke to the serpent, the devil, And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does this tell us? God is promising humanity in that passage of the Bible a way out, the gift of repentance. When sin came into the world and made prisoners of all of us, God said to the arch sinner himself, It's going to end, but not well for you. I'm going to make a way of escape. There's a way out for anyone who wants to get out of here. And that way out is through faith in my son, Jesus. He is the savior behind the word of God. I want to encourage you tonight. Don't leave God out. Don't exclude God. Don't make the mistake of wandering your way through this life independent of God. Jesus will one day come back. Eternity stretches before us. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure.